Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of Ephesians, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and dear confirmants, Lucas, Troy, and Izzy, we're going to be taking a look at these verses from Ephesians today and mirror them into your lives and in the lives of all God's children who are here with us today, who are listening and watching online. Paul, who is writing to the Ephesians, starts off, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now what's the reason that he bows his knees before the Father? Well, we go back a few verses and we see that Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his death and resurrection, it is in that that Paul was called by God, by grace, and with his power. To do what? To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul considered himself to be the very least of all of the saints because he had formerly persecuted the followers of Christ, had them arrested where they were eventually put to death for believing in Christ. And then on the road to Damascus, by the power of Christ, Paul's life is completely changed. And he went from persecuting Christians to being one. And now he was called by God to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That by grace, through faith, because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can all have eternal life. And it doesn't matter how terrible of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter if you are an insider Jew, like some Jews felt they were, or if you were an outsider, a Gentile, like some Jews felt the Gentiles were. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is. It's not about all the things you've formerly done in the past, even though you may never be able to forget some of those things. You are still called by God to be his dear child, and he wants you to have the eternal riches in heaven. Now, there's one more thing that Paul mentions before verse 14 where we started, and that is he talks about his suffering. As he writes, he is in prison for proclaiming the good news of Christ. And while people might have been sad about that, Paul sees it as an opportunity to continue to minister to others with the good news of Christ, that they may be strengthened. And thus Paul's suffering, whatever it was, whatever it was going to be, is for the glory of God. So we can say for all of these reasons, Paul bows his knees before the Father. Now, kneeling can be seen as an act of submission and worship. As Paul later says in the Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who died on the cross for every single one of us, and for all of our sins, past, present, and future, who rose from the dead for our salvation, proving that he defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all, and who ascended into heaven, 
and now sits in the full glory with the Father and the Spirit, will one day come again and will bring all believers to himself. That Jesus is worthy of respect and honor and praise and worship. And it is that Jesus that we bow before in humble adoration, confession, submission, and worship. You confirmants, in a little while, will be confirming your faith. You will be kneeling here in front of the altar to receive a blessing, to receive a confirmation verse, just like many people who are gathered here today have done as they have gone through confirmation themselves, maybe even in this exact same spot. But you don't kneel before or to the pastors. You kneel before Christ. Christ, who is called Pastor Brad and me as pastors, yet we are sinners just like Paul. He has called us to shepherd his people, to be under-shepherds of the great shepherd, to proclaim the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, to give Christ's forgiveness in the words of absolution. We are tools, instruments that God uses, just like he used Paul. And we bow before God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as Paul says, he bows before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God, as our Father, created all of us. And as Father, he sent his Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. And as Father, he has called us to be his children in faith. And as Father, he has established marriage between a husband and wife to procreate and inhabit the earth. We bow before the Father, as Paul says, as he goes on to say, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. These words are a prayer, if you will. A prayer that the Ephesians be strengthened. Strengthened in what? Well, I think we see that in the next verses. It's the knowledge of Christ's love for them. Strengthened with the almighty power of God, who is able to do all things, and who has given his Holy Spirit to strengthen our inner being. Now, why do we need our inner being strengthened? Well, that's because we're all sinners. We're all born with a sinful nature. Now, my wife, Andrea, could give birth at any moment right now. And I know that even though I can't physically see and touch and hold that baby yet, there's a few things I know about that baby. One of them is, that child is not perfect. As David writes in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the moment we are conceived, we have sin running through our bodies. Deep down in our inner being, there is sin. You look inside yourself, you're going to see sin. You look in a mirror, you are going to see sin. You guys know that we talked about that in confirmation. The law, it shows us our sin. We look in a mirror and we see the commands of God. And we see that we don't measure up to his perfection that he calls us to. The law condemns us. It tells us that we are poor, miserable sinners worthy of only death and hell. And that is why Christ came. 
to die for us poor, miserable sinners. Whether we are just conceived in the womb or whether we are over a hundred years old, Christ died for us all. And he wants us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And Paul goes on to say in the next verse, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We have this sinful nature inside of us, and Christ wants to give us a new nature. He wants to dwell in us. And this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. And we are given a new nature in baptism. The old Adam, that sinful nature inside of us, is drowned in the waters of baptism. We are given that new nature. We are made a new man or woman. We are marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Our sins are forgiven. We are washed clean. We are made a member of God's family by faith because the Holy Spirit is at work through the water and the word in baptism. And we have the promise of eternal life. Baptism is a gift of God. That again, many people who are gathered here today have been given that gift and maybe even from this exact baptismal font. Just like you three. And even though the old Adam has been drowned in the waters of baptism and the new man has risen up in those same waters, we still have that sinful nature inside of us. It will never be gone until Christ returns. And so we need to, in daily, in our daily lives, in repentance, keep that old Adam drowned so that that new spiritual nature that Christ has given us can grow in faith as Christ dwells in us. So that we, as Paul goes on to say, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Faith that was instilled by the Holy Spirit first in baptism for many of you continues to be nurtured and grow through the hearing of the word, through gathering in worship around Christ's word and his sacraments, by being taught the word in many and various ways, whether it's at home, whether it's in church, in Sunday school, in Bible study, whatever it might be, so that you are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and are filled with all of the knowledge that you need to know just how much God loves you, that he would do anything for you. And that's why Jesus came, because he loved you so much that he willingly sacrificed his life for you and for your life. He took the death that you deserve to bring you life. He died for all of your sins. The sins that everyone knows that you do, the sins that no one knows that you do, the sins that you are most ashamed of, and the sins that you hate doing every time you do them. Christ took them and nailed them to the cross. And he calls you to repentance. But his calling you to repentance is the Holy Spirit working repentance in you so that by faith you confess your sins, receive Christ's forgiveness, and by his power lead a life that is pleasing to him, turning away from your sinful ways 
knowing full well that that old Adam wants to rise up and sin some more. Yet Paul goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That old Adam wants to rise up, but Christ is stronger than our old Adam. The Holy Spirit is greater than our sinful nature, and God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to his power within us. So when we believe, it's his power in us. When we come in repentance, it's his power in us. And when we overcome temptation, it's his power in us. We can do nothing. Christ has done everything because he loves us. And that is what God wants us all to be rooted and grounded and anchored in. This is what he wants to be the foundation of our lives, the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation. Christ being the cornerstone of our life. Dear confirmants, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has brought you to this point by the waters of baptism, through your parents, through the church, by his almighty power, you will stand here today. You will confess and confirm the faith that God has gifted you. And you know that this is not the end. The Christian life and journey is a marathon. It is not a sprint. You being confirmed today, coming and receiving the Lord's Supper for the first time, Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, for the strengthening of your faith, and for your salvation. It's just one chapter in the book of your life that God willing has many more chapters in store for you. And you can look around and you can see many people that have many more chapters in their own books. Now, some people may not have very many chapters left to be written. Some of you have many more yet to come still. We don't know, but God does. And it is he that works in us to bring us to him, to bring our lives to him, to bring us to faith, to bring us on our Christian journey. Ultimately, that journey he brings it to its conclusion. That conclusion being united in heaven with him, which Christ has won for us through his death and resurrection. And to that end, we say in the same words of Paul in Ephesians 3 that you already heard, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.